Are you ready? It's that time! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another episode of Man Buns and Jesus. We are the Man Buns. You are not Jesus. Um, this is uh, season five, four, something. Season five. Season five, episode six, with an asterisk. We had a couple of fun episodes in there, too. But uh, we're back in the book of Exodus today, taking a look at the Passover. And I'd just like to read for you uh, from Exodus 12, verses 21 to 28. This is the ESV for those of you that really care. But then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to the clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood of the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyers to enter into the houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. The people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. So the first bit of chapter 12 up leading up to that section is God giving to Moses the instructions, not only for the Passover, but then also how to keep this as a feast moving forward. And uh, Josh, why is why is all of this important for us in today's conversation? Well, Ben, thank you for asking. It's, all, it's almost like we planned this conversation. Oh, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> for us, I, there are a couple of ways that or there are a couple of reasons that knowing and better understanding what is at stake with the Passover can help us understand our own faith and our own relationship with God. Um, so in that way, I think it's really, it's worthwhile to look at. But in addition to that, uh, something I'll, I'll submit to our listeners is that everything from scripture doesn't necessarily have to have an immediate use for us. And I think if we insist on forcing everything to have an immediate use, sometimes we miss the point because uh, the something that I think is just as important to take away from the Passover is, wow, look at this, this incredible and terrifying thing that God did. So um, just having a little bit of awe and maybe fear isn't not appropriate. but. The Passover has a really deep significance, right, to 
the people of Israel to the Jews, but also to us for different reasons, but very closely related reasons. Um, and that is to say that the Passover itself, so this event that Ben just introduced, this, this moment in history where God took drastic measures to punish the Egyptians, to free Israel from the Egyptians, it is, the, it is kind of the foundational point for the nation of Israel and their relationship with God. And at the same time, it does something that theologians, well, I, maybe I should specify Lutheran theologians especially, will call a type or an archetype. So this is uh, kind of a linguistic game that theologians play. We're playing with words here. Um, because there is this temptation with, especially with Old Testament, where people want to just make it into a story, like an object lesson kind of story, like an allegory. Like this didn't really happen, but it's meant to teach us this. And in our church body, and there are other church bodies that have a similar approach, we're really resistant to that because we these are historical events. And can we also learn from them? Certainly, without a doubt. But so we say, well, we don't want to say, oh, it's an allegory or it's just a metaphor or something. But we need a word to describe how this kind of sets us up for something that happens later. So we say, OK, it's a type. And when we use that word, what we're really saying is God is showing here some sort of pattern that he picks up on later, whether that is a pattern of how he acts or a pattern of um how he expects his people to act with each other, whatever he's setting this pattern for, he's setting a pattern that we see come up again later. Okay. And that's really, I think where we're going to spend a lot of our time today is looking at some of the patterns, some of the types that are found here in the Passover that we see picked up, especially in the ministry, in the life ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus. So, um, one might also just call this foreshadowing. Yes, yes. Because like... And I'm okay with that, but I suspect that some might resist that because they're concerned it makes it just sound like a literary... Like device. it reduces the significance of the original event. That's fair. It, I, I have mean, no it problem with it, though. I'm just yeah. We're, putting I mean, myself the in the shoes of people who are more nitpicky than I am. That's fair. The way that we are looking at this today is we're looking at it. We're going to talk about some of the significance that these things had in the day and age that the Passover happened. But then we're also looking a lot at how this stuff foreshadows other things in the church. Yeah. So clarifying my language, just in case anybody wants to come at me, bro. Yeah. Um, Never stopped us before. And then the, the one other thing, well, actually, no, I'm going to throw this to you because I think maybe it's appropriate for us to start at ground level and say, kind of talk about what is the impact it had on the Israelites, on the Egyptians, and on the, the generations kind of that immediately came from that. And then we can kind of step forward in history and say, well, how does Jesus put this in a new light or how do maybe even the prophets sure. put this in a new light? And then we can skip or jump forward from that point maybe to today so what do you what do you think when you think well what impact did this have sure in the moment it was happening so i think 
the definitely two and there's kind of a half-baked third thing that uh are coming to mind at the moment first um the the people of god in egypt hadn't really experienced the direct connection with god that the 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 fathers had um being uh abraham isaac jacob joseph like god seemed to communicate with them reasonably regularly and very directly and as far as scripture records there's not a lot of that if any between the death of joseph and the time of moses and moses starts receiving messages from god when he's with his father-in-law jethro uh, at the burning bush to go lead this people and then god continues to communicate with him and his brother aaron who we referenced in our reading today um but that kind of revelation hasn't really made it out to the broader people yet so i think first and foremost this would have been an a literally an awe-inspiring event that kind of uh showed or or made clear to the people of god yeah you should listen to this guy um like the the events that are about to unfold are going to be cataclysmic and also salvific like this is going to suck but it is going to save you yeah and i think it's worth noting that god doesn't say i'm going to come and kill every firstborn but israelites are safe yeah he says you sacrifice this animal, this lamb, and you mark your home with its blood. Mm -hmm. And because of that sacrifice, you are protected from the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's important later, but that also, that teaches the Israelites in that moment that just because I've set you apart as my people does not mean that there is not a gap between us. Mm -hmm. the israelites are still in in need of some way to pursue righteousness and this is kind of how god introduces the sacrificial system for that mm -hmm. um and then later it goes into much much greater depth on what that sacrificial system is going to look like but this is like the genesis of that not genesis the bible book the the beginning of that um Stop using big words because you'll otherwise just start spewing Bible book titles. Genesis isn't that big of a word. <laughs> PhD. Um, uh, first of all, that's not even the degree I'm after. It's an ed Second of all, I, I don't have it yet. Third um, of all, it is probably because I'm teaching at Concordia Irvine because I've been lesson planning. <laughs> Sorry nerd um, <coughs> yeah okay ben okay ben but so the second thing that this to me was gonna is is kind of really speaking to is there is a distinction between israelite and egyptian because 
God has given this message to Moses and Aaron to give to the Israelites um, because they are God's set apart people. And because uh, this is going to be so painful for the Egyptians um, and any unfaithful Israelites that happen to not paint their doorposts. But God is really making the distinction here. You are the people that I have set apart to carry out my plan. The Egyptians are still part of my creation. But they aren't like you are distinct. You have your own identity in in me because of the things that I've done for you and the things that I've promised your forefathers to bring through you. Your gears are turning in Josh's head. Yeah, yeah. So let me know. Let me know what you think about this, Ben. Okay. Okay. So the what sets the Israelites apart specifically for the Passover is that they were warned. They were warned of the wrath to come. Mm -hmm. Which that front for those of you who've been in church for a long time, that phrase might catch your ear. Um, it's a pretty notable one that John the Baptist uses talking to the religious leaders of his time. And I, there's there for me, I'm like, huh. Maybe even there, God is starting to signal that his people are at our it's taking a shift from just, well, we're Israel, so we're God's mm -hmm. people. And when John says, who warned you of the wrath to come, he is maybe in some way putting the Pharisees outside of the this people that God is choosing to warn. Mm -hmm. I think for me, this first a instance... A loose connection, I'll, I'll grant, but... Sure. I think for me, this first instance is far less about warning them and far more about like helping them see their identity as his people as important right like this is how god takes care of his people not any people group on earth that's randomly wandering around God is doing this for his people, and you are being warned because you are a part of his people. Right. And that sets it up down the road for things like Sinai or uh, other times where they receive God's law and uh, his His order for their, their lives. Um, to take that with a little bit more understanding of why this is important. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting, maybe some questions worth acknowledging that I, I don't think we're going to get into today, but you have this question of, well, why doesn't God warn the Egyptians too? Or why did God choose Israel? And you can even play that forward to um, why some and not others. Why, why are some, why doesn't God just save everyone? Um and then you also have this question, uh, because when you talk about it in the context of the Israelites were warned, and then later they're given the law, and 
we know from the rest of scripture that even if someone is ignorant of the law, they're, they are still condemned by it. Mm-hmm. Right. Even if you don't know the standard God has set, that doesn't absolve you of falling short of it. I mean, which for, for us, I think in our sensibilities as humans, we tend to say why, and we, I, we're acknowledging, I'm acknowledging that those questions may come to mind. You might be like, Oh, that's, I'd love to hear what you have to say. And the answer to all of those questions, as far as I'm aware, is you can ask God when you meet him face to face, right? Like um, this actually falls in the category, I believe, of, of something called a theodicy, which is when we try to kind of break into the mind of God and try to figure out why he does things when he doesn't tell us why he's doing something. And the answer pretty much is just, we have to suck it up and and acknowledge that God does things and we're not going to always understand why or how he's going about them in a certain way. So, um, yeah, it, the, the, the theodicy specifically here is going beyond the fact that we know that God saves out of his deep compassion for his people and his creation. And he condemns out of his justice and wrath. And those things both exist. And for us to try and figure out exactly how they work and why God does the exact things that he does is trying to read into the mind of God in a way that we just, we don't have available to us. Yeah. So we, we can answer that to some extent, but it's an unsatisfying answer for a lot of people because it has to stop kind of short of where we want it to go. Yeah. Which, but. I mean, at its core, it's unsatisfying because we want to be, we want to be in charge and we want to know the answers and whatever mm-hmm. modicum of control that gives us. And we are not in charge here. Yeah. We do not get to dictate the rules. We do not get to tell anyone how the game is played. Yeah. Um, the so I'm, I'm reading for those of you who don't know who this is i'll try and give a bit of a background but flames book right now have you read that at all no i know so, who flame is though he wrote a book cph put it out it's called extra Nose, which means outside myself in um or outside ourselves in uh latin and it's talking about his path from seeking assurance in his faith internally to seeking assurance in his faith externally. Um, And one of the things that he just talked about in one of the sections I just read was as he was getting into reformed theology, they talk a lot about sovereignty, God's ability to be all powerful and and almighty and all knowing and like have all of these incredible traits And yet, as they explain his sovereignty, his ability to be incomprehensible, oftentimes the Reformed world makes God very comprehensible to the point where it makes him smaller. So one of the beautiful things about not trying to dive into the mind of God beyond what we know is that it more faithfully allows us to understand God as infinite, which take like 30 seconds and think of pause this episode, take about 30 seconds and think about that. And then come back once your brain has melted and we'll, we'll keep going. 
I do think, and there are people who would make fun of me for this, but they're not on this podcast, and I don't think uh, the pot can call the kettle black here. Um, but I think my foray into theoretical mathematics in my undergrad gave me maybe a greater appreciation for what infinity actually means Mm -hmm. and how because like for most people infinity is just a really big number Mm -hmm. it goes in the same category as like a trillion we Mm -hmm. we it's just a a word that means a big number we have no grasp but (laughs) when you look at it through the mathematical lens you're like it's going on for it's not a number it's it's a it's some it's, it's something a concept that goes on for it's a concept that goes on forever in both directions there is no start there is no end it just is mm-hmm. and when you even get further into it it's there's not even just one infinity there are infinite sizes of infinity which is a mind-boggling mathematical proof that we're not going to get into today but not only so you can quantify on some level infinity enough to know that there are also infinite different sizes of the infinite. So everyone go take calculus. Uh, <laughs> calculus. Uh, Calc one, two, and three differential equations and probably some advanced differential equations and you might yeah, get differential there. equation at, at least differential equ- equations, some linear algebra, all of which then qualifies you to take a number theory course. <laughs> and in that number theory course, you will gain a more genuine appreciation for infinity as a concept. Um, it's it's fine. It's just like three years of your life that will admittedly be excruciating. Um, yeah. At least three of those classes are absolutely no fun. To simplify this for you, rather than worrying about taking three years of advanced level college mathematics, um, Instead, if you have already done that, um, congratulations, Josh's brother, Ian. If you no, always- no, no, Ian was practical. I don't think he ever went beyond. Uh, I mean, he took. I think he took differential and linear. Okay. But he definitely never took number theory. Well, I know that, but he at least got far enough to know what an infinity looks like. Um, yeah. At least enough to snort and say, "That's dumb." Why yeah. would you need to know that? Yeah. Um, probably <coughs> listens to this episode. Um, we'll get there eventually. Anyway. Uh, Infinity is not a practical concept, in case anyone no. has seen why uh, no. an engineer might not care. I, Instead of doing that, I want you to think about time and the fact that God exists outside of time. Like, we we picture and conceptualize everything within the bounds of time. And that's not how God exists. And yet it is how God exists. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something out there, and then we're going to get back on top. But with <laughs> okay. that, have you ever considered, what if one second, genuine, one moment, because the second is how we measure time, right? Yep. What if one moment is genuinely longer than the next? 
but we have absolutely no way to quantify that because if one moment is genuinely longer than the next, our way of measuring time would scale. So like a second, I think a second is, is, is it's defined as something like how long an electrical current takes to move through a certain kind of really stable quartz or something. I don't know if that's right. I might be thinking of something else. It, but, no, there's there's some atomic way to measure it, and I can't remember yeah, what it there is, is, but you're, there's you're on like the right a, track. A definite, we say, the essentially, it's the rate of this natural phenomenon that is incredibly consistent. This is what a second is. But if one moment is longer than the next, then that natural phenomenon would take longer and then shorter because the moment itself is what is changing. And either right now you're listening, you're like, that's dumb, move on already. Or that's going to live rent free in your head. And I'm okay with that outcome because I've just made some people's, uh, <laughs> we'll call it their intellectual worlds a little deeper. <laughs> I definitely didn't just to see if I could just do it to see if I could screw with anybody. The, the funny part is, I think you're right because the way that we experience time differs with how fast we're moving relative to the universe um, have you ever held a plank one moment is longer than another That's yeah all I'm, saying. all I'm saying yeah um so the last thing that i had and this is the more half-baked one um that i think is actually more fully baked than i thought it was but it's a way that god is calling his people to faithfulness right um because like you better listen to my instructions or else or death um but like this is a people that has not interacted with their god in hundreds of years and many generations on this level and so in order to to set them up for success God is giving them this challenge to live in faithfulness for one night and survive or live in faithlessness and your oldest son dies. And like, in some ways that's really harsh but in some ways, I think it's also kind of setting the standard for God's people where he's like, I'm going to bless you in ways that are unusual in this earth. But in response, I call you to live as a faithful people. And if you do, it will go well with you. If you don't, people will die. Look at the history of Israel. This is one of those foreshadowing pieces. Look at the history of the people of Israel. When they live faithfully, there is abundance, there is peace, there's prosperity. Things go well for them. When they don't, things do not go well for them. And <coughs> aside from Josh coughing his lungs out, people die. 
Oh, Lord, I hope that's not what's happening. But, and if you think about it, this, because Ben mentioned this in passing, but I want to, I want to throw some, some detail on here. He's, Ben mentioned that Israel hasn't really interacted with their God in such a dramatic, noticeable way for however many years. I think it's like three or 400. Um, check Exodus 1 if you're at home and you've got your Bible in front of you. But because they went from, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, who all had varying degrees of very personal, hands-on relationships with God. And then, as far as we're told, very little contact until Moses and the burning bush. And there's definitely enough time in between those. I mean, there's enough time for a family to become a nation of people. So you have all that. And what is kind of, I think this almost naturally brings us forward to, well, how does this impact Israel's walk with God going forward? And to put it pretty simply, it is this is the foundation of Israel's relationship with God. Because this this Passover, I, we've been talking a lot about the like the individual instance of the Passover, but the immediate consequence of the Passover is Pharaoh says to the Israelites, get out of my land, leave mm-hmm. this place. Um, and throughout the rest of the Old Testament when whether it's a judge or a prophet or whatever whoever the leader is who's speaking in this role so often when the people are being called to return to god or when god is the subject of the discussion this is how they specify who god is they'll they'll in in a lot of cases they'll start they'll say the god of your fathers the god of abraham isaac and jacob but then Almost immediately after they say, the God who brought you out of Egypt. And that's how the, in fact, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, there are several Christian traditions who number the Ten Commandments a little differently than we do. And the first commandment, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Which we would say that's the introduction to then the Ten Commandments. I think that's actually the the Jewish tradition for numbering the commandments. But is to to number them with I am the Lord your God first. But this is how God identifies himself. This becomes the foundation for the covenant that God has with the people of Israel where the first going forward the firstborn belong to God. And what that looks like is they then take on different roles. Um, in the in the life of Israel, in the worship life of Israel, but this sets the foundation for that, and maybe even more than that, this kind of begins the foundation of sacrifice as how the people of Israel atone for their sins. As this is how the people of Israel are made right with God is through sacrificial animals. It's not always a lamb, but sacrifice is is a very consistent part of the life of Israel. And this is kind of where, uh, at least on some level, this is where it starts. 
um, as a codified practice, as something that is, this is how we do it. This is why we do it. Um, and then, you, you know, you can hop into Numbers and Leviticus and get, it, it outlines very carefully, like this kind of sin warrants this kind of sacrifice. And it sets the, it, it ingrains this understanding that sin has a consequence. That consequence is death. However, God is willing to have something else stand in for us to pay that price. And in the Old Testament, it is these animal sacrifices that are made again and again and again because they are imperfect sacrifices. These are sacrifices that are made by imperfect priests and in an imperfect world, and they atone for sins, but not in a perfect way, because they have to be done again and again and again. And if you say, well, that, I mean, that kind of sounds consistent, but is, why is that the way we explain it? The, the reason we explain it that way is because that is how Hebrews explains it which gives us an insight into what is going on here. So that's kind of how it is impacting Israel throughout their history with this as kind of the starting point. Is it, did I miss anything, Ben? Because my temptation no. was to jump immediately to the New Testament with that lead-in. No, I, I think one... I've got a transition to the New Testament stuff, so hopefully I'm not jumping past your your point oh, here but all your dreams okay so something that i find kind of interesting is when you look at how passover is treated in the modern jewish faith um its importance kind of depends on how strictly and adherent you are to biblical law and the sacrificial system like there are still strains of very conservative judaism that believe that they need to rebuild the temple and reinstate the sacrificial system um so that they can be forgiven as a people um and for those people like passover is an incredibly sorrowful day that speaks to the separation between the people of israel and the gifts of God, because they believe that the gifts of God for them are a specific place, the promised land, <clears throat> where God has promised to reside in Jerusalem in his temple, um, and a place through which he will send Messiah because they reject Christ. Um, and so they look at it as as separation from the gifts of God in, in a very physical and literal sense. And yet, when we as Christians take a look at Passover, we're looking at it through the lens of, oftentimes, I think the Last Supper. Because Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples when he gave communion, when he had the Last Supper, when he gave a ton of his last teachings um, and so for us, it takes on this different meaning of like, this is a sorrowful meal because we know how close the gifts of God are. Jesus has taken this meal 
and made it not about what God is going to do in a specific time and place, but instead what he has done in the work of Christ. And now we receive the gifts of God through a meal that was born out of the, out of the Passover and communion. And it just, it almost turns the whole thing on its head um, from a meal that is in anticipation of what God is going to do to a meal that's now in Thanksgiving for what God has done. Well, and I think no, a noteworthy connection when Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, when when he's describing the wine, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting, well, this, this Passover, this is the old, co- well, this is part of that old covenant. Mm-hmm. This sacrificial system where God's people fall short and they sacrifice to atone for their sins. And this new covenant is still a sacrificial one. But it's sacrificial in that Jesus is the Passover lamb. And that's a that's a connection that the New Testament makes more than one time, where Jesus is the Passover lamb and he is the perfect sacrifice. In that he is sacrificed once. He takes on the wrath of God that should be targeted at us once. And that is enough that it doesn't need to happen again. There, there is no more need for sacrifice because Jesus paid the entirety of the price, not just for the sins of his disciples, not just for the sins of people at, of Israel at his time, but the sins of all of the people who call him Lord then and now and in the future. Um, which is one of these really cool ways that Passover sets us up. You see, okay, God takes sin seriously deathly seriously but he's willing to to put that punishment on something or someone else in the form of the lamb um and it kind of gives us this idea so that's what jesus is doing that's how god is operating in the sacrifice of jesus on the cross Um, we don't have to paint his blood on our doorposts but uh (laughs) there's no shortage of new testament language that talks about our our clothes I think largely metaphorical being washed in the blood of the lamb. So we're not putting it, we're not putting his blood on our houses. We're, we're wearing it as our righteousness. So I love, I, I, I still remember uh, I was in high school and in, in my high school youth group, my dad taught Bible class on Sunday mornings and the youth room, it was the big room in the annex. Um, I don't know what the capacity is, but I have to imagine you could probably fit a couple hundred people in that room before the fire marshal would start getting mad at you. Um, but the room was filled with couches. We were sitting on the couches. It was a big circle of couches and dad was teaching and he made these connections. He's like, Jesus is the Passover lamb. And he started explaining how this covenant worked. And I remember that was one of the moments I was like, wow, those are really cool connections. This is a really cool way that God showed us what he was doing, even hundreds thousands of years before um before he actually did it in in the ministry of jesus so i love that i love the passover as it connects to the covenant and ministry of jesus
yeah. I'm stopping myself from further geeking out because no, that's fair. I don't want to get rambly. So to to kind of bring it home a little bit, hopefully, um, as we look at the Passover here now, about I think if I remember my Bible timelines right, we're sitting about 3,100, 3,200 years ish after the life of Moses. I'll pull up my handy dandy logos fact book. I might be very wrong on that timeline, but that's where my head where my head goes. Um, but sitting here all those years later, what does the Passover have to do with us? And to me, it's about looking back at what God has done, how He's cared for His people, how He's He's worked with them and through them. Um, and how he's called them to many of the same things that he calls us to, because even though he's not like seeking to use us as his people to bring forth Messiah, he's still calling us as his people to grow the body of Christ. And so in the same way that he said, you are my people, I am your God. And I, I ask you to, to come to me in faithfulness. I think the same still applies to us today. And not to allegorize this, but like. God is consistent with his calls to his people. Um, so the, the same God that called Moses and the Israelites in Egypt to those things is calling you today to those things. Um, and maybe that should be a memory as we look at the Passover. Josh, what do you got? I am I'm biblical chronology. That's what I was trying to look at. Okay. Uh nope. Further down. I'm further down. He's working on a finding his way to the life of Moses in the timeline. I am. That is exact okay. Uh what who's who who decided the formatting for this? Because they could have done failed. It. I don't want to say failed because you can you can still like find it's a bit of a trip. Yeah. Okay. Okay, now I'm getting a handle on it. That's weird. Okay, first Passover Exodus. Uh we're looking at 1446 BC roughly. So 3500 years. Yeah. I can still do mental math. I actually take it back. This is actually a really helpful little guide. Because it's it's putting in parallel the dates, biblical happenings, and then what are like parallel events. So like parallel historic events. So right around the time of the Passover, you see uh, destruction of Greek palaces in places like Knossos. Um, and just a little bit later, you have a war starting in Syria between Mitanni and Egyptians. And I wonder if that's because uh, most of the Egyptian army died after the Passover. wonder if a neighboring nation was like, we'll take advantage of that. Anyway, 
That was in the Lutheran Study Bible notes for anyone who's curious. Like that graphic is in your Lutheran Study Bible somewhere. I don't know where it is in the physical copy, but it's there. Good, great resource. Anyway, Josh, you want to do takeaways? I am. I'm ready to do takeaways. You go first. My takeaway that I want to put in front of you guys is a little generalistic based on everything we've talked about, but it is this. When you're reading the Old Testament, never discount it as the history it is, because it's the history of God's people. But also, there are a lot of connections to the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the church that are there in the Old Testament if you take the time to digest it and to think about it. So my encouragement to you is, is make sure you're spending some time in the Old Testament, in your devotions, in your personal readings, as well as the New Testament, because... It has incredible stuff for, for us today, um, understanding who God is and who he expects us to be. What about you, Ben? What's your takeaway? I think my takeaway is for all of the pain and bitterness that came out of the Passover, the Jews still looked at it with a great deal of fondness because of what God did for them through that event. And that should maybe inform our understanding of the cross to some extent. It was an, it was an incredible tragedy, um, an incredibly dark and painful day in human history. And yet through that event, God brought, God brought life, hope, salvation, forgiveness, all the things that come up in your catechism. And so we ought to cling to those things, even in those moments of darkness where we uh, remember the death of Christ, where we remember the tragedies of the past, um, that God has worked some incredible things through them. So with those takeaways to keep in mind, we also, we'd encourage you, like if well, like this episode, if you're listening on a platform where you can like individual episodes, I think that's how Amazon does it. If not, like and subscribe to podcast <clears throat> podcast that helps us out, that bumps us higher up in the algorithm. Uh, plus, if you're subscribed, that lets you know when we release new episodes, which is usually pretty consistent. But the last couple of weeks, I have been slacking and I haven't been getting them out till later in the day on Tuesday. So subscribe and that way even when i'm slacking you get the notification um we do uh we are on all the major podcast platforms so for whatever reason you are listening to this on what is not your preferred platform uh we're also on whatever you do tend to listen to podcasts on whether that's spotify pandora google podcasts apple podcasts amazon music whatever your your choice is i think also youtube it has at youtube has asked me to mark this as a podcast so i'm assuming that means you can listen to it as, i don't know i don't know man um that's prob- <laughs> probably because uh google podcast will cease to exist here relatively soon oh. so they're pushing everybody to youtube music oh okay. yeah they are in any case give us a subscription we have, we appreciate that and uh if you would like to hear us talk about something specific or have a specific host guest host on, just let us know. 
If you know us personally, you can shoot us a text or an email. If you don't know us personally, we have a Facebook page that does get checked from time to time. Um, and we are open to those ideas. Just know, like right now we're going through Exodus. And unless we really, really get excited about an idea that you submit to us, it's going to go after we're done talking about Exodus. So keep that in mind. We do love the topic suggestions, but we're in the middle of something here. We're, tr we're trying for some semblance of like intentionality. Uh, it's it's working out uh, in differing in, to differing degrees. In any case, uh, we have enjoyed this time with you. We hope that you've enjoyed this time with us. And if you thought it was a, an episode worth sharing, go ahead and send it to one or two people and, and see, see what they think. Hopefully it spawns some good conversations for you with your friends and family. That's all I got. So with all of that being said, brothers and sisters, go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.